This episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast is sponsored by 12th Street Sound, the production, recording, and mixing studio where you can get 10% off as a listener of this show when you reach out to Anthony Santorini at 12th Street via 12thstreet.ca slash RCP. My roots with 12th Street go deep. I've recorded all of my personal music projects since 2019 there. You can too. So get going on your next music project today at 12thstreet.ca slash RCP. That's 12thst.ca slash RCP. I'm always surprised when people say, I don't know how you can do it, how you can get in front of all, yeah, so many people, people that, and true. I could never do it. I'm like, oh gosh, I could never not do never it. Never not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, hello. I'm your host, Will Chernoff, and welcome back to a monthly episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. Thanks again for your great reaction to last month's episode on this new frequency, and we've got an all new one coming up for you right here. Just wanted to mention my second album as an artist, Maybe Eventually by William Chernoff is out now. Links to that in the description. All right, we've got somebody outside the typical jazz lane for you who performs and writes children's music. That's up next. Our guest today is a renowned, I would say, and others would agree, Canadian children's musician, singer-songwriter, and performer. He's perhaps best known for hosting Will's Jams on CBC, but he's released, we think, 12 albums because his 12th and latest album, Will et Sika Amis avec tout le monde, is out now as of October 21st, 2022. So we're going to talk about that and how it came together, but also... The other considerations that you get out of being an artist in this unique genre, because I think there's some stuff in there that applies to all of us. I find him to be a really fun guy. He plays with a lot of jazz musicians and a lot of mutual friends of mine personally. So it's a pleasure to have him here in New West. Please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Will Strowett from Will's Jams. Hi, Will. It's great to be here. Very excited. <laughs> uh, I think we're going to have a good time. Yeah, just two Wills hanging out in New West. <laughs> Will want? squared. Will squared. Yeah. Now... If I'm looking at a track on the new album, I mean, it's all in French, and it's a collection of relatively short songs with a big variety of grooves. And when I think of the track Danser Comme Moi, I think about that groove, and I'm thinking, wow, you had no business including a groove like that on a children's <laughs> record. That is just way, way too much. It's like a, a new disco style groove or something like that that one stuck out to me you know well i you know that of of all the songs um on that album that one is the one i can probably take the least amount of credit for honestly. oh really we had um so sika sika's brother uh produced most of the music for that particular song uh and and um the hook was something that we came up with in the studio um like that song, we, we knew what we wanted to do it. We had kind of this like action movement song that we wanted to try. We wanted it to be different, um, but it, it was not well developed before getting into the studio. And so uh, our producer on the album helped us come up with the hook, which is, Venez danser comme moi, and uh, like that sort of <laughs> chorus. And then we pretty much gave the song to Sika's brother, and he's the one that came up with all of that amazing, just everything, like, the the body of that song so much of it so yeah yeah, yeah that one stood out as, as among all the different grooves that you included on the album and it's not easy to write in this style you know like you've been doing it for quite a while and I'm sure you've grown as a writer but 
what do you have to think about when you write this kind of song? Because, you know, if I think about the music I make, a lot of it is improvised. A lot of the structure is very loose. And as an outsider, it seems like this might be the exact opposite. Like you might really have to lock in on some things to, to get something done efficiently in a short song and to have it be simple enough to be understood by kids obviously like what what do you have to think about when you write this kind of music based on what you've learned yeah i'd say that i have a very um like i definitely have a structure in mind when it comes to writing uh there are a lot of considerations um you know you want to have a a good chorus a a good hook uh you want to think about what the kids are doing is it a song that that has action which most of my songs do Uh, i find that those are the types of songs that kids really respond well to especially in a live setting but even now more so with uh you know music videos and those types of things as well and uh in this last album, we had other considerations too. We really were trying to appeal to uh, the education market and teachers and and students that like teachers that are teaching French as a second language. Um, both Sika and myself uh, learned French. You know, for me, it was growing up. With Sika, it was a little bit later, uh, and so we really used that um, that experience, our own experience, as a way to uh, help us come up with the, the sort of the form of the songs and the way we would we would write these songs so we kept them short on purpose uh was always thinking about you know simplicity and vocabulary but but not so simple that it's not fun and interesting uh trying to have many different musical styles and feels um and even singing in keys that are really uh, conducive to kids' voices. Oh, that's so funny because I was going to geek out about keys. Because yeah. I was going to be like, well, a lot of your songs are in E, I felt like. But I was wondering if you really think about that. If you're like, oh, this key is the best because we're working with a limited vocal range of people who are not trained singers, right? So you got to think about stuff like that too. Yeah, for sure. That's something that I've learned uh you know, over, over the years, because in the past I would always just write in my favorite keys, um, you know, as a guitar player and, uh, just keys that I really enjoy singing in, but those keys are often not the best keys for kids to sing along. So, um, this particular album is just another example where I've really tried to apply all of these things that I've learned over the years, uh, to, to make that experience the best possible for kids and for teachers, especially. Yeah. Tell me about collaborating with Sika. Tell me about Sika. Sure. So Sika, um, her name's Jessica Holtby. She goes by Sika. Uh, Sika sings. And uh, I met her um, during COVID just on Instagram, actually. I guess that's kind of how you that's and how I we met. met. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, you know, I'm the kind of person that I really like meeting people. It's probably... You too. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things about this industry that that's I'm in. That's what it's is, all about. Yeah, I get to, I get to meet lots of people. I meet lots of new people every day, every week. Um, but during COVID, you know, th- that experience kind of shut down. And so we, I guess I, we, we find new ways to connect with people and, and through social media was one of those things. Um, so I, 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 I sort of found Sika on Instagram and we were aware of each other because we were both, you know, in this space of making music for kids. And then she, I remember her posting a couple things in French uh, and I realized, oh, this oh, is interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is uh, someone, you know, that might be worth collaborating with or something. And so, um, you know, we got in touch and started talking and I found out that she's actually a French uh, university teacher. So she teaches at the University of Alberta. She teaches French there. In Edmonton. In Edmonton, yeah. yeah. 
and uh, and that really intrigued me as well. And and the fact, of course, that she was sort of starting her career in in children's music. And um, so I I proposed to her that we just write a song, try writing a song uh, over Zoom, and just see how it goes. Okay. And 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 with that in mind, I was thinking, okay, you know. Uh, let's try and write stuff that would be really good for educators because that's something that both of us, we're both educators, really. Um, you know what is needed there. You have enough experience to know yeah. what will work. Well, and, and and from my experience, when I used to teach, I used to teach music at a French immersion school, I always found that there was a real limitation of resources Um for teachers who are teaching French as a second language, there's a lot of French music out there, but a lot of it, to, in my opinion, is not very accessible for kids who uh, aren't francophone. So kids who, yeah, kids who are learning it as so a second So it's too language. hard linguistically? Yeah, a lot of it's too too hard, uh, too fast. There's a lot of slang, I find, often. A lot of the music that gets used is like old folk music or Quebecois folk music. Also, like the reference doesn't hit in the same way that it yeah. would for people who are native francophones. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So so th- this was something that I had in mind um, when Sika and I started working together. So so anyway, we, we set up a time, we got on Zoom, and... Almost immediately, we found that we had a really good chemistry working together for for writing and 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 writing songs. So, um, after writing our first song, I said, you know, let's do this again. This was great. I'd love to do this again. She's like, yeah, sounds great. And so, two weeks later, we got back online and we wrote another song. And we found basically we'd get on and and every session we'd write another song. And so, after a number of months, we had something like I don't know, fifteen songs or maybe more. And uh, that was where I realized we got to do something with this. These are really great um, resources that'd be great for teachers and fun for kids. Um, and yeah, and so from that point, you know, we we looked for ways to to get a, an album uh, funded. We had some support from uh, Creative BC, which is fantastic to get that album recorded. And you know, the rest is history. Then we've we've, we've we got together. Sika flew out to Vancouver, and we recorded here and. Uh, and now it's out. So Where did you record? We recorded. Uh, this is actually a new, uh, new producer, new studio for me. We recorded at Echo Plant Studios. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, in Coquitlam, poor Coquitlam, I guess. And we had a great experience there. Uh, we had um, actually Alana Worsley was the producer. Nice. Um, and uh, usually Ryan does most of the production there, but I thought. This was kind of another neat connection. Alana is actually uh, um, an elementary school music teacher uh, as well. Go. So it seemed like this great, um, some great potential. And it, and it worked out really, really well because she did have good insights um, into, you know, the way teachers could use songs. Um, and there were other things as well that I, that I really enjoyed about uh, working with her in, and in that space. And the engineer we had was really great too. His name's uh, David Zier and he's... Um, does a lot of work in that studio. Nice. So, yeah. And I think when we were chatting, you said that you haven't had the chance yet, although it's coming down the pipe pretty quickly to perform with Sika live, right? That's right. Yeah, we haven't, uh, we've never actually done a show together, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm really looking forward to it. We have, yeah. we do have a couple things booked. We're going to be performing at Festival du Bois yeah. in, uh, I, be- I believe it's in March. It's usually early March or late February. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's March. And then we're also going to be performing and sort of debuting not only the French music, but we have English versions coming next year and we'll be debuting oh. some of that. 
along with the French music at the Vancouver International Children's Festival um, Very nice. this coming spring. So yeah, yeah. there and, and there are more things in the works, but but that's that's all that's confirmed so far. Yeah. That said, I did hear you live holding down a children's stage all day at an outdoor street festival in New West this summer. That's the first time I actually got to hear you and see you perform in person. So that was a lot of fun for me, but I know it was a hectic day for you. So how was that? <laughs> it was great. I mean, uh, anytime, anytime I'm on stage, I mean, I'm in front of a microphone right now, and this is honestly like my favorite place to be, whether it's on stage or whatever. I just, uh, it's, it's always a great experience. It was a busy day because I was emceeing the stage. This was at the BC Recovery Day event in New Westminster uh, back in September. And... Uh, but yeah, the show was super fun. I got to get on stage with with one of my idols, uh, Fred Penner. Uh, yeah, who was, you came out in his set, and did he come out in yours too? He didn't. No, he was you? too busy selling merch. Yes, Everyone, that's right. He, he got mobbed <laughs> he by got everybody. Mobbed. But but you came out during his set. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I came out at the end of his set. And we did. Um, I guess we. What did we do? The cat came back. Of course, yeah. we did. The cat came back together uh, with some other guests as well, and. Um, uh, yeah, that was a great event. It was really, really fun. Um, I don't know. I find now now that I'm back performing in front of audiences, like real live performances again, I just, I can't wipe the smile off my face. I'm so happy to be doing it again. I'm so happy to be in front of audiences. And, uh, you know, I just, I'll never take that for granted again. Yeah. After not being able to do it for two years. So love it. Yeah. I thought it was the summer. It's funny because we had such the weather coming through into September. It was still like super hot and super sunny. And yeah. we were out there in early September and it still Te felt like technically summer. Technically still I summer, so. I suppose. <laughs> by the by, the equinox. <laughs> That's yeah, right. You, you're still in there. Yeah. Now you you hire a lot of my friends to perform <laughs> on some of your gigs. Um, I'm thinking especially of Chad Galfin and Madeline Elkins. And you brought Madeline in as a bass player, um, known to me and to many as a, as a guitarist. So yeah. you recently performed in Yukon a bit with her, right? That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah we just finished a tour in the Yukon. Uh, we got to play in many different uh, towns, communities up there in their schools. And that was the first time uh, Maddie had played in my band. And it was great. I've, I've, it, it's not uncommon for me to have guitar players play bass um, uh, in my band. And like my main, sort of my main bass player is Elliot, uh, Elliot Langford, and he is a guitar player, uh, first and foremost, but, uh, also a great bass player. And, um, I don't know, I find, uh, I find that it works out just fine. Like I, especially in a small three piece, uh, you can kind of give the bass player a lot more room to, to even play some lead and, and that kind of thing. So, uh, she fit in really nicely in, in that re regard. And cause you usually have a small band of you playing guitars and fronting the band. And then you have one bass system, one drummer, that's there's right. background vocals going on and that's it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're a three piece. Uh, my, my regular, my regular band is, is Elliot and, uh, Kevin Romaine on drums. Yeah. And the two of them have been playing with me relatively consistently for about 12 years. So it's, it's it's uh, quite an incredible run, and of course, you know their careers have taken them in other directions. So I do often find myself bringing in other people like Chad or Maddie, or I mean the list goes on and on. It's yeah, a, it's a long list. There's a lot of people, and even now I'm finding myself um, assembling different bands for my upcoming tours. I've got all kinds of different uh, 
configurations in the next few months. So yeah, I always find it particularly amusing, and I've brought it up to some of my friends in the lead up to this that you, as your long-standing drummer, you have like one of the most esteemed free jazz and improvising drummers in Vancouver as like your drummer for your act. I think that's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, Kevin's Kevin's great. I I love having him in the band, and he's he you know he brings some of that uh, that kind of free jazz. Uh, into the show not only in his playing but in in his performance which I you know I've never really talked to him about this either but he you know he's he's always up for improvising in terms of uh you know the flow of the show the 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 you know my sort of dialogue in the show and there, there are certain moments in our performance where you know Kevin does things that none of the other drummers you know he takes things in all kinds of in, Incredible directions. We have one song, uh, En haut en bas, which I've been performing. My mom actually wrote this song uh, when she was a French immersion kindergarten nice. teacher, music teacher. And it's extremely popular still to this day. And it's always a part of my school show. And, um, you know, when we do that song, there's a, a moment where, like, right before we do it at the fastest speed, where I ask Elliot if he's ready and he's ready. And I ask Kevin if he's ready. And, and Kevin says, Oh, no, I'm not, not ready yet. And he'll stretch and, and he'll, you know, start doing some exercises or whatever, make sure he's warm. And, and lately he started doing one push up, like right in front of everyone. <laughs> he, he gets down and do, does one, you know, super slow push up. And we all get going, Kevin, Kevin. <laughs> and then he, you know, and then he gets all the way up and, and, and he's ready to go. And, you know, the crowd just, the, the audience is yeah. just going crazy. They just love, they love it, you know. And yeah. one more story on that because oh, we, did a, we, did, <laughs> we did a, we did a gig actually in New Westminster for Canada Day. It was like during COVID, it was one of the few um, live gigs like that I had in that time. No, it was um, Queen's Park, I guess. Oh, I think cool. we were actually in the baseball. We were in the baseball. Oh, wow. Uh, the stadium. Stadium kind of thing. And we were performing sort of on the edge of it. And we did that song. And when I asked Kevin if he was ready, he, he put up one finger. He said, oh, just wait. And he took off and he ran all four bases of the baseball diamond. The whole audience was just watching like, what is going on? And, and Elliot and I were kind of like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And he finally rounded all the bases and came back and he's like, all right, I'm ready. So <laughs> it was just, yeah, it was amazing. It was so cool. But yeah, so it's neat. It's, yeah, I, I really like performing with my regular band. I love performing with new people. I find it's really neat to... Uh, to hear what other people bring to my songs. It keeps my songs fresh too, for me, uh, songs that I've played hundreds or thousands of times. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a cool experience. I really, I really like it. Yeah. Shout out to two more of my good friends, two drummers, Jamie Lee and Ben Kelly, who have both played with you. They have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, I had, a um, Jamie Lee was on a tour last spring with us in Northern BC. And that was a lot of fun. And, um, and Ben Kelly's done a few with me over the years, although it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, those show stories, they're great. I mean, I, I think about it because I saw you do, this must be a song that you've done a lot too, where you get the kids to form a train oh, and yeah. walk around. I bet you've probably got some stories about how that Oh, I do, I do, I do. Well, probably my favorite. So I have a, a song called Chugga Da Chew. And uh, it's uh, it's a song about trains. I wrote it when when I was right in the thick of the sort of CBC TV series. And, I, and at that time, a lot of my songwriting, I was really thinking about the visual representation and, and what 
the song, not only what it sounds like, but what it would look like in a video. And so um, I highly recommend you check out the music video for Chug It A Chew. It's a really good one. Um, but yeah, so for the live performance, I always get the kids to make a train and they can, you know, if they're, if it's in a park, they go all over the park. If it's in a theater, you know, the, sometimes they're up and down the aisles. And um, I think my favorite memory of that song well sometimes it would get a bit out of hand but we did some touring in in china and one of the shows there like we were playing gigantic theaters there yeah huge venues you know over a thousand people in the audience and so when you start a train in a country where you don't you know the communication is a little bit uh you know there's there's definitely a communication gap um but you you get that train started and I don't know. I found the kids in China were just so amped and excited to kind of get out of their comfort zone. And, uh, but a lot of the adults were really uncomfortable with it. And certainly the theater staff, like when I suggested that these kids make a train and start, you know, cause you have to try, you have to ask like beforehand, like I'm sure. Well, yeah. I should, I don't always, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I mean, Anyway, it, yeah. so one of these trains, it was like, it was going up the, the, the aisles of the theater and back down and in front. And, you know, the kids were having a great time and, and there were maybe a few derailments, but uh, gosh, I remember just looking, kind of looking at the, at my band and being like, wow, this train is, this is a crazy this train. train. Has left the station. <laughs> this is a crazy train. As, as Ozzy Osbourne would say, this is a crazy train. Going off the rails. <laughs> the reason why I thought, oh, you have to ask is because, I mean, I... I had the opportunity to tour China as well as part of a very large company, um, not as extensively as you. I only did it once and I only went to five or six cities and did, I think, six performances. Um, and they were in large venues as well. And there were a lot of people on stage. It's almost like a variety show format. And it was just very buttoned down. Like it was very, it was very procedural how it was. So the idea that you could improvise something like that in your shows would be a phenomenal achievement like if you just <laughs> if, if that's what you just did and you just pulled that off in one of those venues i'd be hugely impressed you know yeah it was uh well again like i said the kids were 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 definitely so excited i mean the 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 response from the kids from pretty much all those shows in china was amazing and a lot of the time the adults were kind of like you know, sit down sit down and, and i'm like stand up dance you know <laughs> and and uh yeah, I just, you, I want kids to have fun, you know, and, and yeah. I think that it's not, uh, it's not something that I would say in, in China, a lot of those kids get that kind of freedom to just dance and jump around and, and enjoy music and music that's for them, you know? Uh, so it's, it, those tours were, were really special. I hope I get to do it again sometime. I don't think it'll be anytime soon, but, but, yeah. uh, we'll see who knows. Who knows? Yeah, that's a big one. Can I ask you some things about how you got to this point over however many albums it's been and go into the go into the back your background a little bit and and see kind of how this came together because there's musicians who will listen and there's some things that I'm curious about to see how much of maybe what is my experience right now how much of that you had as well you know Ooh, okay like so one thing I'm thinking is like did you ever have a period in your career where you were a side person or where you were playing in other people's bands or what what happened on the way to it becoming your thing and to you stepping out as a leader wow that's a good question um uh, i guess i mean if we go way back i mean i started playing music uh i played i played the violin as a kid and then i played uh i sort of gave that up in exchange for the guitar as a teenager and i had 
a teacher at that time who was incredibly supportive and uh, definitely helped me sort of push me out of my comfort zone, which I think gave me a lot of confidence in playing music and just uh, feeling comfortable on stage. Um, I mean, the specific example. So my, my teacher at the time was, his name was Rob Montgomery and uh, he's a blues guitar player. Oh, he might be a reader of Rhythm Changes. I'll have to go check that out. Oh. I don't know if he listens to the show, but I'll, I'll see I'll oh. see about that. Well, I'll send, I'll <laughs> give him the link so he can have a listen yeah. anyway. But uh, I grew up across the street from Robbie and when I was a teenager, he started teaching, teaching me guitar and I loved our lessons. He, he is an incredibly enthusiastic um, teacher and very, very supportive. Like he makes you feel like you're doing an amazing job. Right. And, um, and so he, he would, he would bring me to the Yale hotel jam sessions. And this is where I really gained a lot of confidence, I think as a performer, I mean, I'd been performing as a young child, so I was always comfortable being on stage what were you doing like was this in the theater like plays or music or what, oh as a what, kid when you were performing as a kid what were you sure doing? I, I mean sometimes it was with uh i mean usually it was with my violin i suppose oh and, and, right okay yeah, yeah and it was not um uh the singing was never something i really did on stage but i always i grew up in a household where we were always singing like my mom was always singing and we were always singing nice. in the car we were always making up songs like all of this all of these things are very uh, formative parts of my development as the musician that I am now, I suppose. Yeah. So you had the performer's instinct, kind of, you grew, you were growing up with that kind of in mind. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, I, and I think, honestly, I think it's in my genetics too, because yeah. I, I, <laughs> I really uh, thrive in, in that, uh, that situation. Nature where and nurture, you have both. <laughs> yeah, for sure. When, but yeah, yeah, when I'm performing, it's definitely my... Um, my 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 comfort zone. I really really love it. I'm always surprised when people say, "I don't know how you can do it. How you can get in front of all, yeah, so many people." That. And true. and uh, I, I just I could never do it. I'm like, oh gosh, I could never not never do it. not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he brought you to the Yale. Okay, yeah. Back so yeah. so yeah. So so he would bring me to the Yale Hotel and his band at the time they were called Incognito. I, I think there's still a version of Incognito that that performs around town. Um, and he his band hosted the Saturday afternoon jam at the Yale Hotel. And the first time that I went, I was I believe I was 16 years old or something and and he we drove down together and he said to me he said, "Okay, Will, um just, you know, just hold on to your guitar, walk right through the front door with me, pretend you belong and, you know, we'll just get you in there and and uh yeah, just, you know, just walk, just keep your head up and walk walk through the front door, we'll get you on stage and whatever." And so I was, you know, 16 years old, I was pretty terrified, I suppose, but, <laughs> but, um, it was those types of experiences that just, you, you get thrown into those experiences and that's where huge growth can happen. And I ended up going to that jam session every week for probably about a year and a half. Um, and I would get up on stage with people that were, you know, three times as old as I was or whatever, twice as old. And, and, you know, people that are very, comfortable in that situation and I and I would do my best and I some weeks I'd feel better about it than others and but I'd keep trying and uh and it was yeah it was just a, a really great experience at that time to 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 be doing that and um I had a beard then so I felt like I could still kind of walk through the door yes. and pull it off or <laughs> I leveraged that as well in my teens <laughs> um but yeah so that was an amazing experience and and very uh 
sort of formative in terms of uh, um, my experience of, of, of performing music but then I, I kind of put music aside I, I played a bit I had a, a band in university for the first couple of years but then I pretty much stopped playing music for quite a few years when I was finishing university and um, I only came back to it really when I went back to UBC to get my education degree and it was there that I that I had sort of this aha moment where I realized the power of music to teach other things like not just about teaching music and I think that that is probably one of the uh, the most important kind of philosophies that surround my work now is this idea that music can be such a powerful tool in teaching uh, pretty much anything I mean you can learn so much through through music uh, as a vehicle and a tool and I just love that I just love it I see, you can see it. You can see that, that the, the way that kids are learning at my shows or whatever, they're learning. They don't realize they're learning. They're having too much fun, but they're learning. So yeah. it's, music uh, is uniquely good at that. You yeah. could say, right. And like, if you think about the album tracks, right, like you've got like an alphabet song, you've got days of the week song, and then you've got other things like the kind of list song thing is a funny thing. Like you've got the on fait un picnic song where you like list off a bunch of things that would, so there's all these different things you can include that, yeah. that you want to, that you want to introduce people to if the kids are listening. For sure. I mean, this, they, they'll, I, they'll learn it. Yeah. Again. Yeah. This new album, I feel like we've taken everything that, that, that I've learned over the years and tried to apply it to this, this album. So things like the list song that, so on fait un picnic is a, it's a song about, it's basically a song about food. It's about, mm-hmm. and building vocabulary around food. And uh, it kind of, you kind of keep adding to it like a 12 Days of Christmas style kind of song. And it's the kind of song where a teacher could then take that and, and they could start adding any foods that they want. And it can become right. a whole classroom activity and the kids brainstorm and then you create your own version and, uh, you know, it could be performed in an assembly or whatever. Like all of these songs... Uh, have that kind of potential that there, there's songs with actions, songs, a lot of songs where teachers could could take the song and, and incorporate their own um, ideas or the kids' ideas and, and, and just leverage it in that way. So yeah, tons and tons of learning potential in these, these new songs. I'm really, yeah, I'm really excited yeah. about it and, and just getting it out to teachers. That's what I'm doing right now. So yeah, I want to get into something here i'm not gonna hang you out to dry on this because i have my own opinion about it too and it's kind of a funny question but we talked about this vc recovery day stage where you emceed the stage all day and there were different children's performers including somebody like fred penner right who've had really long careers and again i i'll chime in with what i think my view of this is at the end but i'm curious what you would say um now that you have this body of work how would you describe what is different about your act and your body of work versus other performers who are in this milieu with you? Oh, well, I would say, I mean, I think I, I've listened to a lot of children's music. I've, I, there's a lot of great music coming out now for kids, tons, probably this year, I, almost everyone I know in the space has put out a record <laughs> and it's, 
I will say too that just that my assumption going in is that there is an answer to this question. Like the the (laughs) fact, the success that you have had to me demonstrates that there is, you know, that there are things that can be identified here that are different about you because you don't get to where you are without there being something there, you know? I think, uh, I think for myself, again, none of these things are 100% unique, but maybe it's like the combination of these things. Yeah. Uh, For myself, the, the, the big things that have, allowed me to kind of thrive in this career i think number one is um the fact that i'm bilingual that's created all kinds of amazing opportunities and i really like leaning into that and uh and um yeah even when i'm doing shows for an english-speaking audience i really love throwing in some french i feel like there's nothing to lose it's it's a great opportunity and and it's opened a lot of other doors as well uh i think the way that I relate to kids, I think is probably my best asset in this, in this uh, world. I'm, I'm so comfortable speaking to kids and, uh, and, uh, I, you know, they respond to me. I, I know how to have a conversation with a kid. You know what I mean? I feel like a lot of adults don't, don't really know how to, mm. to, to engage kids in ways that, um, that, yeah, just make the kids feel comfortable and and that they're having a good time and and so I think that's a big part of it. Uh, and and in terms of like the styles of music that I enjoy playing, I think that a lot of those are really conducive to um, to getting the response from my audience that's super enthusiastic and and engaged. Uh, you know, I play a lot of sort of rock and roll and folk and country and blues and you know various different styles and and. Uh, I really like the energy um, that that affords my show, and uh, I think the kids respond really well to that. So I don't know if I've answered your question, but those are some of the factors, I suppose. I think we're going in the same direction here. Yeah, I think of it as like, it's not any individual thing that is the thing that differentiates you, but it's like a skill stack, right? And depending on what's in that skill stack, that's going to be a unique combination of things, like you were saying. So that's where the the difference shines through is once you start adding up a bunch of the distinguishing yeah. things that you have, right? I suppose another thing is that, you know, my background in education too, and the fact that, you know, I'm a certified teacher. I, w- I, w- I actually taught in schools for a number of years. And I think that that, that, um, that gives you a lot of insight into that particular part of the kind of like children's market that education side and i also think the fact that i'm a dad um Mm -hmm. is a a huge like being a parent is a huge uh asset in terms of understanding your audience and and not everyone in kids music are there are parents and and some of them are still amazing but it is um i think that yeah i mean for me for myself i think that that's a huge huge part of it do you feel like you unlocked a different level of understanding of your craft once you became a father versus before i think so definitely definitely and i i I also recognize over the years the the incredible amount of inspiration from my kids and from my kids friends Uh, a lot of my inspiration before that came from my students um Right. I, I also think I'm really young at heart. Like I'm really interested in I think things you are that, too. that kids are interested <laughs> in. You know, I, lo- I love comic books and I, you know, I like, you know, whatever. That's a, a lot of stuff that uh, yeah. makes me relatable to my. Yeah. My answer was going to be that I think it comes from 
your band and your arrangements and the delivery of your arrangements just as much as those other things. I think when you add that into the skill stack, I think that's what differentiates it. Because I think if you just put a different songwriting lens on top of your band, like it could be a totally fine indie rock band. It could be a totally fine blues band. Like all the ingredients are there. It just so happens that you are adapting, arranging and presenting it as an educational thing as children's music. But all the ingredients are there that it could be a very successful band just playing festivals and gigs, right? Like the 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 arrangement is of that level, right? And maybe not everybody prioritizes that all the time. Like a lot of the other performers in the space will have that for sure, but I think it comes naturally to you in a certain way that sets it apart. And it's probably because you came, I, I wouldn't have called that you came up playing at the Yale Blues Jam, but there must be something <laughs> there, you know? <laughs> well, I think that's really interesting uh, because... You know, I generally speaking, I feel like the musicians I play with are always better musicians than me. Like I'm always the 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 the, the worst the, player in the room. Yeah, I'm you always, always the, want that. I agree. Yeah, I'm always I'm always kind of the the weakest musician in the the group. I mean, I I, I recognize that I have you know certain certain skills or whatever, but it's oh it's amazing to be able to leverage like really great players and and people who play differently than other people. And and like we were saying earlier, that just bringing new people in and out of the mix and it just it just keeps it really interesting and fun and uh that's what one thing i always emphasize with people when they play in my band and when they're about to do their first gigs with me i always i always remind them like okay number one don't forget to smile like let's have fun uh feel free to improvise or you know if you have an idea like give it a give it a try there's there's room in these songs for uh, musicians to to have some fun and and try some different things, so um, that's one thing with Chad. I always have to remind him to smile. You know, <laughs> <laughs> if he doesn't listen to this already, I'm going to tell him about that. <laughs> <laughs> he, knows, he knows, he knows, but he's not the only one. You know, a lot of people when they're playing, you know, you're not uh, you don't think about that, but with this audience, you do have to think about it. That's so funny, especially with him, because I've known him for ten years or so now, and I mean, I definitely regard him as a more polished and practiced and experienced bass player than myself at this point. But I think if you traced us and you watched us kind of as peers, um, I think I'm kind of known for being a bass player who smiles profusely on stage. And I, I got back when I was touring in a band, I got a lot of feedback on that. And I, I think Chad would be considered the opposite of that by most people's standards. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's funny. He well, makes it work. It makes me think of... Um... I don't know if you know Max Lee, the drummer Max, Max Lee. I've heard him perform live. Yeah, I've never met, I've never met him. But yeah, yeah. but he is, he's the same thing. He's like this, got the biggest smile on his face. You know that he is absolutely loving what he's doing. And uh, yeah, he's played with me a number of, he actually came with me and Chad to China on that last trip. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's like, in terms of the smile, it's like over the top and just amazing. And I love it. I look over it. You look over it and playing and and he's just like... Yeah, it's amazing. It's really cool. Fun. Something you learn when you're a teacher and that you could also learn if you're in the theater world is just the sheer amount of, it's like you have to amplify your face and all your movements, like more than you would ever think. And I, I noticed that because, I mean, I worked with North Shore Celtic Ensemble a little bit. And so I was leading youth performing groups, not not necessarily as a teacher directly. And I'm not really a natural teacher, but I did get to witness this thing where 
And if you're a student performer, you can feel like you're working really hard to emote and you can feel like you're smiling and you're moving a lot, but you're actually not, like not from the vantage point mm. of the audience, right? Like you have to so amplify so what true. you're doing for it to have any chance of coming across way out there. I think that's why my face is so wrinkly now. <laughs> <laughs> I have that to look forward to. That's what you're saying. Hey? Well, my, my kids tease me, you know, because I got pretty deep set wrinkles, but I say, you know, it's... I'm smiling all the time. I'm very expressive. When I do my show, I have extremely active eyebrows. I mean, even you watch my music videos, like from the CBC Kids, uh, all the Wheels Jams videos. And some of those videos, it was only my head performing. Like they would, there's a number of them where they, where we they took zoom, my head. really tight. Well, we, or we took my head right off and stuck it on a, a puppet. Like some uh -oh. of them, they're like cutouts and there's a few songs like that. And there's one song, uh, my song Trikers, where they took my head off and my my body double for that song riding the trike is a nine-year-old girl but it's so it's just my head and so my performance is only my face that's all i have to wow. work with and so yeah you have you really do have to be very expressive i think that would be terrifying for a lot of performers if they knew that that could happen to them They'd be like <laughs> how do i get the most out of my my face as a performer like that's that's tough that's interesting yeah i, I don't know but again, again for some people i guess it's it it comes kind of naturally and so but anyway it's something i always remind the people i'm playing yeah. with like smile you know there's a 500 kids out there looking yeah. at you <laughs> they want to know you're having a good time <laughs> your run with cbc now being a past experience what sticks with you how do you look back on that um well i mean there's uh, there's really all kinds of things to say about that whole experience uh I don't honestly know where to start. It's it's uh, it was so amazing uh, when we so Kim and I, my my partner Kim, my, she's my wife and my business partner, my manager, my agent, and uh, the two of us. We went. We were producing music videos with our friends. Their names are Cam and Cat, and their company is Turtle Box Productions. And we they're like a husband wife team, and and my wife and I are the same. And and we got together. Um, because we wanted to create something that we could pitch to television, to CBC Kids. Um, and so uh, so we started creating videos. And then Kim and I went to the Banff uh, Media Festival. I can't remember what year it would have been, like 2012 or something oh, yeah. like that. Or 2011 or something, I don't know. But but we went and we we had these videos and we shared them. We pitched them to the head of CBC Kids at the time. Her name was Kim Wilson. And she just loved these videos and the opportunity, um, she was like almost immediately, she said, this, these are great. I really want to get these on CBC Kids. Like Kim and I couldn't believe it. It was like, um, it was like a miracle, you know, to have this opportunity. And so right from the start, it was so exciting. It was such an exciting thing. And th the first group of videos we self-produced with cam and cat from turtle box productions and then cbc came on they licensed those videos and came on and helped basically the funding of the production of another 18 videos and then those all went in rotation um daily rotation um for like almost seven years probably but did you still years. do all the production work or did they have people who produced it with you and did they take on the workload directly or did they just fund you they just funded us which was really great so like you we, like that yeah oh that you yeah to keep doing it your way that's yeah. right we they gave us uh, a lot of freedom i mean they had to kind of sign off on everything when we went to deliver and they had to sign off on the scripts and concepts and all that but um i'm yeah cam and cat 
really took the driver's seat in terms of the production because that the video production that was their expertise and so yeah we self-produced we basically self-produced all that content um with cam and cat at four cbc kids and it was amazing like we had just real television production budgets and opportunities to create incredible videos like that i'll never have the chance to make content like that again i just don't think it'll it'll be possible so it's pretty cool to have uh have those videos like they're still things you know they're still part of what i what i am you can find them on youtube or whatever it's 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 a pretty pretty amazing thing but I don't know, some of the opportunities were just even performing at CBC Kids Days in Toronto. Like we'd go there every year and, and do shows with all their other performers and acts and shows. And those types of experiences were really fantastic. Really, really amazing. So I, I'm just so, so, so grateful to have had that opportunity. It's really. Yeah. And Kim or you and Kim are working on this new thing called Arts IQ. Yes. How much can you say about that? Uh, I can say a lot. It's I'm Arts IQ is uh, it's now live. It's it's up. It's it's a site that, um, well, it's it's really Kim. This is my my wife's company, uh, and it's an opportunity for artists to create content that can uh, live online and be purchased or licensed by teachers or schools or districts to bring those art forms into their classrooms or into their schools uh, to support their learning. So um, my particular project uh, with Arts IQ is around this this album with Sika, the Willy Sika Ami Avec Tout Le Monde. And we've created music videos, so lyric videos for every song, for 15 songs. Uh, it, they exist exclusively on Arts IQ. So if teachers want to access them, uh, it's, you know, it's like an annual uh, licensing fee. Um, and we've created printable worksheets to go with every song and every theme. Uh, there's the MP3 downloads of the songs plus instrumental versions. So if teachers want to uh, perform those songs in a school assembly or for parents, uh, they can have a version that doesn't have uh, doesn't have our vocals and, and it can just focus on the kids singing. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. And Kim's other artists have, have created stuff. A lot of the content that's on there right now uh, is virtual content that her artists had created during COVID. Because Kim has like an artist management aspect to Yeah, well, it's more of well. an agency. Agent, yeah, more book, of an agency. booking agency. Yeah, yeah. She, she does manage some of her artists, but not officially. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, some, <laughs> some uh, yeah, some need a little bit more support. And, and Kim's amazing at that. Like if she believes in you as an artist, she she goes uh, above and beyond to help you find success. And that's called Pebble Star Artists, right? Pebble Star Artists. So yeah, her, yeah they, so our company that I have with Kim is Pebble Star Productions, and that's kind of like the mothership. But Kim also has Pebble Star Artists, which is the agency, and now Arts IQ, which is, um, is like this virtual arts integrated, you know, learning site where teachers can find uh, First Nations storytelling or Bollywood dance modules or Willy Sika, you know, French teaching resources or I, I mean, there's all kinds of things. It's really, it's an, it's an amazing website. And I think it's just the start. There's just so much potential for that site. I'm really excited about it. I believe in it. I believe in what she's doing. I think it's, uh, and, and I just, yeah, I just want teachers to see all the potential and, and how much 
value they can get out of of uh, the content there. Yeah. I've worked with a lot of people who had a really intense, who are a generation older than me, who had a really intense performing phase to their careers and then eventually took an off-ramp and innovated and did stuff like this to kind of transition out of that. Is that what you're doing here or not yet? <laughs> uh, no, it's it's not what I'm doing. It's I think it's maybe what Kim thinks I'm doing. She likes having me home because I do most of the cooking and stuff. Yeah. And she's her businesses are booming. She's so busy. Uh, and yes, I, do, I don't intend to tour and perform at the same level that I was. Pre-COVID, I was doing about 180 to 200 shows a year uh, across Canada and then with those tours in China as well. So uh, it was a lot. It was amazing. I love touring. I love performing. I'm going to keep doing it, but I would be very happy to do like 100 to 120 shows a year as opposed to yeah. 180 or 200. And then you can pick and choose a little bit more. And Yeah, because like, I mean, you'd got to do that at some point in your career. Like, I never even really approached that. But like, if I stayed in my band, we could have approached that, right? Like, at some point, it's like, that's on the agenda for you as a performer, if that's kind of the world that we're living in. But it's like, you know, once you're at a stage like where you're at right now, like, frankly, you can dial it in. If you really pay attention to it, you can dial it in. And from a business standpoint, you could probably make the same revenue from those hundred shows, like once you figure out what they are and, and how to how to get the most out of each one of them right so it's funny like eventually you realize how much how much performing that is to play like 150 or 200 times and then you focus it in yeah 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 i it's it was uh, to be totally honest with you it was a little bit much and i was probably i would say hitting burnout <laughs> at at uh, yeah. for touring um pre covid and so in in that respect this sort of covid shutdown was almost like a, a lifesaver and, and a bit of a career saver, I suppose, um, because it, it allowed me to, to, to just get healthy again and feel really good and, and, and then get excited about, about performing and touring again. So I'm very happy where I am now. I feel great. I'm super excited about the tours that are coming. Uh, there's some pretty awesome performances coming in the next year that I'm ex very excited about. And, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a great, great uh, year coming up. Yeah. I wanted to mention one more place that is something that we've talked about before because you've been kind enough to be a supporter and enthusiast of what I do at Rhythm Changes, which I thank you for. And I'm, I'm appreciative of. And we've exchanged some thoughts about certain ideas, right? And sure. I end up thinking a lot about audience development, right? Because those are the kind of things that I have to talk about with my friends and we have to figure out if we're trying to do something how do we get people out to things and how do we get audiences for our recordings etc right but there's unique challenges in this area that you face because of the the genre that you operate in that other people don't have to deal with all the time because your audience is of a certain age and then they're not because they'll be older and then what you're doing doesn't apply to them anymore and however, like there's a silver lining to it as well, where, you know, just because you made certain material in 2004, you know, in theory, if, if you feel like that material still stands up, like it can still, can still come out. Like there are these songs that you've been playing in your sets for however long and they still work. Right. Yeah. But there is this challenge of like, you don't get to have kind of career long fans the way that other performers and 
in other genres do like how how do you reckon with this what what do we think about this yeah it's uh it's a very i think that that it is particularly unique to um to kids music where you have uh you have fans like kids as fans are amazing too because they're they're like rabid fans you know what i mean they get if they get into your music they become obsessive fans like they that's all they want to listen to for instance which is amazing and i appreciate that uh, very much uh, but then, of course, they do grow up. So I find, generally speaking, I have roughly a f- like four to five years of prime uh, prime time where kids are really big fans. And then that extends a little bit longer in the schools and the education uh, side of what I do. Usually that, you know, that goes definitely through the primary grades still as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that it, it presents a challenge and it also presents uh, unique opportunities. You know, the challenge is that you're constantly having to kind of like engage and recruit new fans uh, as your older ones kind of age out. This has been a real challenge because of COVID too. And, and by not being out there performing, that's always the, the best way to kind of build your, your fan base, I find, uh, is just getting out oh, and performing so maybe there's like a certain age cohort a couple of years where not as many people came in as some of the other years oh because definitely of that. definitely i think so and and it does feel interesting right now to be kind of um diving back in and per- performing and and looking at like my mailing list and stuff like that and being like oh how many of these people are still going to engage with this new music and, and that kind of thing. But then, like you say, a lot of these songs uh, are brand new, like they're brand new over and over again for these audiences. So, um, and I have a huge catalog of music. So I, I don't know, I, I think about how I can share these songs and videos and, and, and everything with new audiences. I think about it all the time. Yeah. Um, and then one, one other way to look at it, and this is something that, I'm trying to be very mindful in my approach to like sort of building a fan base is thinking about uh, educators as a fan base, as opposed to the kids in particular. And I think, uh, and this is what we've really been trying to do, Seek and I with this, this uh, Will I Seek Out, this new French project is, okay, let's, let's focus um, maybe even more so on teachers as the audience and the fan base and then you you have potential to have those fans be fans for maybe decades as opposed to five so years. So smart. Uh, and so so I'm yeah I, I'm I'm definitely kind of shifting. You know the the CBC Kids thing is over now. Like I'm not on on there anymore, and that that really continued to drive me to the kind of younger kids market. And now I'm making sort of a mindful shift towards. Slightly older kids, but but like school age kids, but also their teachers. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think if we can create really good quality content that is unique and that is very uh, user friendly and super fun and engaging, track. So that's that's where I'm at with with that right now. Yeah, it's such a smart answer to that question to change to to targeting teachers too, because then there's a layer between you and the and the kids that kind of sifts through the time problem where they are are handling a, an intake of new people every time and if they are using your stuff then they they can continue to bring it to new people for you so that's right it's really, well it's, and kids yeah. kids you know five four-year-olds don't 
aren't the ones that are choosing what's being played on Spotify. No. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> no. not like it's different. It, when there were CDs and kids had CDs, you get in the car, the kid's like, I want to hear Will's Jams. I want to hear Will's Jams. But now it's on Spotify. It's, it's you know, you don't have that. Uh, it's much more, mm, I, I guess it's the like parents disintermediated are disintermediated or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's like, a, it's, it's like a step removed, which I think is a, or it's, can be it's a, intermediated. There's a there's a thing in the middle. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. More yeah. so than than there was, I think. So, I don't know. It's interesting. It's always changing. That's yeah. the thing about this industry. It's never been changing never faster. You've, you've <laughs> seen you've seen several changes just in in sure. your run of all of all your solo albums. Yeah, yeah. And I almost wonder if there's like now we're just getting into more ideas and stuff on that. It's like if there's like if it's kind of like it ends up being like a barbell strategy where there's two very different things that you're doing on different ends and one of them is the art psyche thing where like it's very kind of from a product standpoint you would say like business to business or like not direct to customers or mm. whatever but it's like it's designed for other people who are running their operation like for the education system for right. them to put to use and it's 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 sold to them in a certain way and it's packaged to them in a certain way then there's the like the opposite of that would be your songs because you know children's performers still pitch to spotify editorial playlist and try and get on the playlist and youtube for kids and that kind of thing too so the other end is is you just being played on there directly to people right but it's almost like just like you're repurposing like and you're making a library of content for the schools there's another thing where like every time there's like a new kind of social format or something like short videos and TikToks and YouTube shorts in that world or whatever comes after that. It's like on, on one end, there's creating stuff that is super tailored for teachers. But on the other end, it's like taking your huge library of stuff and figuring out how to feed it into that. And like that could expose you to, you know, millions of different social accounts and stuff mm. it, that that would never come from exclusive content on arts iq right and yeah they would yeah. add up to something interesting together but they're two completely different areas that you would have to pay attention to so it's hard yeah it is it is hard to know it's hard to i mean even now I, thinking about my merch or whatever i'm doing there it's i don't have cds anymore i've like, i've sold out the last of them nice and so <laughs> i'm thinking like what 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 do i do next uh, you know what's the what's the the next thing there so and 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 honestly, we're think we think about our I think about Arts IQ now as like a merch item or or that kind of thing. Like you think about it in that way. And I'm, um, but yeah, it's 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 always changing. And for me, what it always comes down to, in terms of doing this, doing music for kids as a way to, um, support my family, like as an as a legitimate career. Uh, it's it's really comes down to the live performance and having a really good show, and and that's that's I mean I think in most most music now it's it's live mu live performance where you make a living, and and it's certainly been that way for me all through my career. And while there have been other things that have, you know, been revenue sources or whatever that that have kind of accompanied accompanied that, it's always the live performance, and so. You know, putting on a good show, that's the best thing you can do. And, and that's how you build your fans. That's how you get people excited about, about it. And, and that's honestly my favorite part of the whole thing is the live performance. So just yeah. talking about it, I'm like, I can't wait till my next show. <laughs> <laughs> <Until your> next. <laughs> yeah. Two quick things to end on here. One, uh, when this goes to air, 
we're going to be getting into the Christmas holiday season almost. Like, what do you do around Christmas time? I'm thinking about when you perform. And at first I thought, oh, it must be really seasonal around the school year from September to June. And then I'm like, well, probably not. Because then there's still lots of summer outdoor events, municipal events and festivals that where there's a need for for kids entertainment at those things as well. So it's probably year round. But like, is there any certain kind of Christmas thing that you get into? <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, we get, so between now and Christmas, I've got, I've got a couple school tours, one on the island, one in Coquitlam. Uh, and then other than that, it's a lot of, uh, private sort of corporate Christmas parties, family Christmas parties. We're doing a whole bunch of them, uh, this year. A number of them are, are people that book me every single year. We just have so much fun. Uh, They didn't for the last two years. I'm so glad to be back doing doing these events and they're super fun. Like it's just. I don't know. I feel like my band is really perfect for those events because it's a party. You know, when we do our show, it's different than what I do in the schools. In the schools, it's like I'm managing my audience. But in those like party environments or or uh, festival environments, it's just we just bring out all the high energy hits and have fun. We're performing at the Hollywood Theater in Vancouver. Uh, we're opening for the Christmas movie that they're showing. And uh-huh. uh, that's like mid-December, I think. I can't remember the date exactly. But I'm very excited because that's a theater I used to go to all the time as a kid. And now it's just like this incredible music venue. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun. Nice. Now, my last thing that I was going to ask you about that I forgot to ask earlier was, it can't be long enough yet that you have done what I would have no doubt that somebody like Fred Fender would have, where you now have um, parents who were fans of you when <laughs> when they were kids, right? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, it might not be that far away. I mean, I've been, uh, I think about, so before I took on music as a career, I I was teaching and and I taught K to seven, I taught music. And so some of those kids are adults and could certainly be having kids of their own now. Um, I don't know if they are or not, but, um, uh, but yeah, as far as the kids that are fans, not yet, but I do, it's those types of things that give me a lot of hope for a continued sort of longevity of my career is, uh, that, and that f- sort of follows from this idea that your, your fans grow out of your music, but they never forget. Like if they're, if you're, when you're a kid and you're a fan of an artist or whatever, and then you, you grow up, but you always remember those songs. You, they're like ingrained in your very being. So I'm sure there will be some, some kids that, uh, are, that grow up and who knows who knows when it's going to happen i can't wait when some some <laughs> a, some dad or some mom comes up and is like oh, i still remember when you played trikers at this my preschool fundraiser or whatever you know i don't know what it is but something like that and now my kids are here so uh i certainly intend to be around at least long enough to do that that's awesome. That's a that's a great place to, to wrap it up. Thanks, Will. That was so much fun. Thanks yeah. for coming on the show. Thanks, Will. I had a great time. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you enjoyed it, 
Become a member for free today at rhythmchanges.ca. Start getting the free weekly article so you can enjoy a great artist, event, or recording. Every week on Tuesday mornings by email, hundreds of fans in our community are getting it, and you should too if you're not already. Become a member for free today at rhythmchanges.ca. Thanks again, hope you enjoyed this episode, and we will catch you next time on the next episode of the Rhythm Changes Podcast.